0: want to tell you about something that I saw once that was just to me it was amazing and now I know because I've seen it happen a few times it's actually not that rare or, or not so incredible but at the time I just thought it was absolutely bonkers it was Christmas morning I was like 17 18 19 like just starting to go off to college and I had heard for my whole life people say and you've probably say it man college is getting really expensive right? We've all heard that. We've all said that. And so I grew up thinking, yeah, I bet college is really expensive. And that was about the end of my thoughts on it. But at this phase in life, I was starting to see numbers on paper, like, you know, getting the brochure from a college and you see what it costs or seeing the bill. And so now there were concrete numbers attached to that. And I thought many times, man, college is getting really expensive, right? Like this is starting to set into me how expensive this stuff is. Just thankful that I was able to to go to it myself. Not everybody's able to. And so I'm either home from college or maybe it's the the Christmas before I left for college. Sitting there, big family gathering. My family would all be at my house for Christmas. Uh, We're all there, we're all opening gifts. And it's my three-year-old cousin's turn to open her gift. Uh, Some more backstory here. We had, uh, that year, we had a, a really wealthy person just come to our Christmas gathering, was there with us. Uh, and there in the state of Florida, where I grew up, there's this thing where you can, if you know a baby or a child and you're concerned about education costs and you just happen to have a lot of money, you can pay the state of Florida whatever it costs right now to go to University of Florida for four years and get room and board for four years. Whatever it costs right now, You can write a check to the state, and then they'll give you a certificate. And when whoever that baby or child is graduates high school, they can go for free to any state school, basically a way to lock in the cost, right? No matter what it costs then, you paid back when it was cheap. And so anybody who had any money was trying to do this. Well, here we are. It's time for my three-year-old cousin to open her gift. She opens her first one, and I don't know, maybe it's like a Little Mermaid doll. It was the 90s. That kind of stuff was going around, and she opens that. Oh, she's really excited. Uh, and then she opens the gift from, from the, the wealthy person. Uh, it's, a, it's a manila envelope, and uh, she doesn't know how to open it. Her dad helps her open it, the little thing. and she pulls it out, and it's this certificate from the state of Florida with this gold seal on it. And it said, congratulations to, and it said her name. And it said, this is good for, upon your graduation from high school, this is good for four years at any public state university in Florida. And her dad went. (laughs) We were all like, wow. And you know, I'm just absorbing how much money this is. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Here's the thing that was amazing to me. She's three years old. So guess how much of this registered with her, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay, so she's looking at it, and there's this pretty gold seal on it, and she just thinks it's like a different-looking Christmas card. (laughs) And so if I remember correctly, her response was something like, Oh, pretty. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to go play now. And she went to the backyard (laughs) and played. (laughs) sometimes you know when you're young like that you get a big gift like that and it just doesn't click right you don't realize the great gift that you've been given and so your response just, just doesn't, doesn't click, doesn't work right. We see the same thing happen now at, at first birthday parties. Like it's a big thing now. A lot of moms will throw a really big party for their child on their first birthday and the parents will decorate all over the place and then there'll be gifts and somebody will bring a $200 car seat and put it on the table and the next person will bring a $300 stroller and put it on the table and then the mom will spend like six hours on a, on a cake that's a special, not the cake we get to eat, but a special cake called a smash cake. Everybody heard of this? Yeah. And the whole point of this beautiful cake that the mom makes is so that the child cannot appreciate what it is and just smash it. Right? And and so here's this, this basically a baby like looking around and not realizing, doesn't even know it's their birthday. Right? And doesn't realize all the decorations are for me, and the cake is for me, and that car seat might save my life one day, and I'm going to go for rides in the stroller. And so there they are, just... Right? Like, it doesn't click how much generosity they have received. And so the reaction is, well, it's worth videotaping. It's usually pretty funny. So, okay, the reason I tell you all that is that I think a lot of us who are are believers in Jesus Christ... We understand that we have been given something really big, right? Something that's worth responding to the way that my uncle responded when his daughter was given a full ride to college. And yet, for a lot of us, we're wondering why, okay, if we have received something so great, why am I not like bursting with joy, right? It's, it's like, a lot of times in our lives, like it doesn't click, just like it didn't click for my three-year-old cousin, who, by the way, now is an adult and a mom and went to college and is a very grateful person. But, you know, when she was three, it was different. So anyway, sometimes it doesn't click in our hearts. And so we look at our own response. We look at the way we sing on Sunday morning, how rarely sometimes we share the gospel with other people. Uh, how little enthusiasm is in our voice with this stuff. And I don't know but about you, but sometimes, well, I know about you, Bill, now, but now I don't know about the rest of you, but sometimes I feel like that baby that has the big cake in front of him and just doesn't get how great this is, and it's just kind of, right? Or like that three-year-old that said, okay, thanks. Where are we going to lunch, right? And just like on with life. What I want to ask this morning is, what would it look like if instead it clicked for us? What would my life look like and what would your life look like if we got how big this gift of the gospel is? If that hit us, would Monday morning look different for us? And the reason I want to ask that is because the story we're going to finish this morning, uh, the, the main character in it gives us a picture of what it would look like. He sees an incredible revelation of God's glory. And he actually sees God himself and hears God's voice make incredible promises to him. And then he reacts like someone who has just seen the glories of God and heard the promises of God. We're going to finish up this morning the story of Jacob's great dream where he sees the ladder come down from heaven, and we're going to let his reaction to it give us a picture of how our hearts could respond if it clicked for us, if we got how big a deal God's promises are to us. So when we read the whole story, this is Genesis 28 verses 10 through 22. Now if you read this and you weren't here last week and you're curious about the dream and what all those promises mean, that's what last week's sermon was about. This week we're going to watch Jacob react to it and say, okay, how is he teaching us how to react to God's great promises? Let's start at Genesis 28 verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached up to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his dream and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. And set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house." And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The words of the Lord. So through Jacob's example, the Lord shows us how to respond to his great promises. Now I've talked about his promises a little bit Uh, kind of abstractly. And so before we go into how we ought to respond to God's promises, I just want to lay before you the biggest one. If if you're new here, you need to know about us. Uh, What I'm about to tell you is the one thing I want you to leave here knowing and the one thing that kind of defines us as a people. This is a promise that we call the gospel. And it says essentially this, that though we can tell when we look around that there is a good God in heaven worthy of worship, And we are very clearly not living the sort of lives that he wants us to live. And we are not worshiping him as he is due. You can look around and see all the violence in the world and all of the hatred in the world. And then we can think about how we talk to the people we love and the things that we do. We know we have not lived up to God's standard. And though I think a lot of us can sense that we must be headed for some kind of of judgment. That if God is just... That must be why we walk around our lives feeling separated from him. Some people spending their lives searching for him, right? Going on a quest to the east to try to find God because we know we don't have him. Though we don't have him, and it's because of our own sin against him, the promise is this. Uh, God has come down to earth as a man named Jesus Christ. And on the earth, he lived a perfect life with no sin, unlike all of us. And then he died to pay for the sins of his people, then rose again from the dead to guarantee eternal life for his people, and then ascended up to heaven where he rules and reigns in the universe for the sake of his people today. He came and he did that for us because we could not get to him. He came to us. And the promise that Jesus is willing to extend to everyone here today is anyone who will receive it. He says, anyone who will trust me, I will give you full forgiveness and eternal life in my name. That's what he has to say. That's his promise to you. And many of the people sitting around you today have already rested in that promise. And if you don't rest in that promise, I call you even right now, put your faith in that Jesus Christ. There's the biggest promise in the Bible, which is alluded to in what we read today. If you're curious about that, listen to last week's sermon. But today we want to ask, okay, most of us in this room believe that promise, don't we? So how are we supposed to live now? If you've received... Such a great gift. Does Jacob's response to God's amazing glory and his amazing promises show you anything about how we ought to live today? And yes, it does. It shows us three things, and we'll walk through all three of them pretty slowly. The first, seeing God's glory and hearing his promises should fill us with awe. Seeing God's glory and hearing his promises should fill our hearts with awe. We see this largely in verse 17, if you look at it with me. First it describes Jacob's heart. It says Jacob was afraid. And then it shows you something of what that looks like in his words, right? Jesus says, out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So in that response, we can see the great awe in Jacob's heart. He is amazed at this. Now, when you look at that word afraid, if your translation says that as mine does, Jacob was afraid. Some say Jacob feared, which may even be a little better. Uh, You need to know that In the language the Bible was written in, that word for afraid and feared had much more flexibility than we use the word afraid with. If I tell you I was afraid of something, you'd think I was scared of it because that's the only way we really use that word. Well, in biblical language, the word afraid can be negative or it can be positive just as easily. So it could be the fear that you have when something scary happens and you think you're going to get hurt. Or it could be that glad, trembling awe you have when you stand on top of a mountain and you see how beautiful it is down there. Like anytime you're before something much bigger than you and you're overcome by it and you kind of shake a little bit, the Bible would call that fear. And it would say that we were afraid. So if we were all on a roller coaster right now, just flying through I don't know, Bush Gardens in Tampa Bay or something, just, you know, all of us screaming at the top of our lungs, our bodies just overcome by the G-force, right? Some of us would be having a really good time because we love roller coasters, right? And we'd be, I'd be screaming, having a blast. And others of us would not be having a very good time because some of us don't like roller coasters very much, right? So we'd all be screaming, some of us having a blast, some of us not having a very good time. But here's the point, in biblical terminology, all of us would be fearing, whether we're enjoying it or not, because that's the way the word afraid and fear is used in the Bible. So when you see it there, you can't assume that he's scared. You've got to ask, okay, is this a joyful positive fear, or is this something kind of negative and scary? You just have to look at the story and see. So Which one is it? Well, you look at what he says and you get a pretty plain answer. He says, not, oh, I'm about to die, right? He says, how awesome is this place? So this is the kind of fear that you get when you finally get to the summit on the mountain and the sun is going down and all of the clouds look like they're on fire and the sunset. and You see the sprawling hills and the mountains and you're just amazed. And you say, how awesome is this place? That's, that's how he felt having seen God's glory. He actually looked up and saw God speak down to him and hearing these promises. He was filled with a happy, a glad fear. And the point I'm making right now is that if you have seen something of God's glory in his word, if you have heard it sung this morning, and if you have heard the promises of God and the gospel, the great gift He's given us, your heart should feel the very same way. It should give us an awe that says, Oh, this is a good, glorious God. Now, this moves us so much because when we talk about awe before God. I think we're really talking about the the deepest human emotion that we could have, even the very thing that we were made for. There is just something about us that is satisfied when we see something so much greater than ourselves. If you think of happiest moments in your life, I bet they weren't when you were consumed with yourself and how great you are, right? Probably. In whatever moment you're thinking of, you felt really small, but you were happy. We were recently, I warned you guys that you were gonna get lots of Grand Canyon illustrations after I went to the Grand Canyon. Here we go, starting line right now. We were recently out at the Grand Canyon, uh, my family, and uh, at the National Park, some of you know this, they have junior ranger books that kids can take for free. And it's like an activity book, but you can't just fill it out. You've got to go in the park and do stuff while you're filling it out. And if you do it all, and you do it right, you give it to a ranger, and they check it over. And if you did everything correctly, you get a little badge that says such-and-such such National Park Junior Ranger, and you get to put your hand up and get sworn in as a, as a Junior Ranger. And our four kids each got eight Junior Ranger badges on this trip. They were into it. So this was the first, the no, second one they did. They're out there at the Grand Canyon. And one of the activities was stand on the rim and look out and write down how it makes you feel. Isn't that a great activity? Oh, so good. And so one of our kids... We were checking through the books. You know, you got to make sure they did it right before you hand it in. You know, you don't get embarrassed. So we're checking through it. And one of our kids wrote, I feel small and happy. And yeah, the, the truth is that is what I want for, for each of you before God. Right? That made the trip worth it that one of our kids felt that. If every soul in this room could stand before God and feel small and happy, well, then my work's done and I can go home happy, right? That, that's, that's basically my job as your pastor. So what I want is for every soul here to say along with Jacob how, how awesome is this place where God rests his presence when we gather. This is not only the house of God, the gates of heaven right here when God rests with us. Jesus Christ walking among the seven lampstands of Revelation with the gathered church. If we could say how awesome is this place. If we could react to the gospel with that kind of awe, well, then, then I'm happy. Then I can sit down and then we could stand up and sing another song and we're all good. Because, oh, that's what I want for you so bad. Okay. Our hearts hunger for awe like that. Like, I stood at the rim of the canyon, and I was happy. We're hungry for that, and that national park was full of people. Many of them don't even believe there's a God in heaven, but they wanted to see this awesome thing. We hunger to be amazed like that, because there is a God in heaven who is worthy of all that awe. There's a God in heaven who would make your jaw drop, no matter how hard-hearted against him you might be if you saw him. And you were made to stand before him and see his glory and be amazed by it. That is the very happiest you can be as a person. So when we see Jacob afraid, saying, how awesome is this place? We're getting a very glimpse of what Jesus wants for each of us. And even for me, as I proclaim these things, he wants us to say how awesome amazing it is, is this God. So it's deep at the root of what it means to be a Christian, right? An all-filled heart before God. And I'm spending a lot of time on it this morning because I think, and I wonder if you think too, that it's one of the big missing links in the church today. Anybody feel that with me? right? Why, why are so many churches in decline when, I mean, I could put the gospel up on Facebook right now and a hundred, hundreds of people could just see it and know it. it's so easy to spread the gospel, but why are churches declining? And, and, and a lot of it is because there's not a sense of profound awe here, right? There are In many churches, there's a pretty good sense here, I think, but a lot of churches you go to and, and it's just kind of uh uh-huh. it's like a ho-hum feel, and the people aren't amazed by the gospel of Jesus. It. And we're, we're a little more like the baby with the smash cake, just kind of not realizing that all the decorations are for us, and Mom did so much work for us. We're a little more like my three-year-old cousin that gets the gift and kind of gets it, but then says, okay, I, I'm going to gonna go play now. I'm going to go out to lunch now. But if we could recover a sense of reverence and awe before that God... I think that would recover what's missing in the church. And I think that is what would lead the churches to grow again. And so that's why I pray that for this very room. I pray that when we sing that people would, who have never seen us before would walk away and say, well, I may not think Jesus rose from the dead, but those people sure do, right? Like those people believe this stuff and they're amazed by it. That's what I want for us. And so that, that gives you some practical help, I think. When we're, you know, we were just singing, right? And we got the books open and we're trying to do it. And, and a lot of what we're trying to figure out is like, what, what are we supposed to be doing right now? Like, is there a way I'm supposed to feel about this? It's pretty easy to catch on to like stand when they say to stand, sit when they say to sit, sing the words that are in the, in the book, like the practical stuff we make pretty easy. But is there a way I'm supposed to feel on the inside? Is there something I'm trying to push my heart toward while we do this stuff? And Jacob's words there give the answer. Yeah, we need to be pushing our heart toward amazement and awe at the things that we are reading and singing and praying and hearing preached. So push your heart that way. When you're alone and you're reading your Bible, and a lot of times... A lot of people, my generation heard all the time, read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day. And so a lot of us read our Bible every day and we didn't know what to do with it. It's like, open it up, read it. I have no idea what to do with that, close it. And then maybe you came back the next day, but you didn't know what to do. And if that's you, if you resonate with that, what are you trying to do? You're you're trying, one big thing you're trying to do is just let the glories of God amaze your heart. When, When you read... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get thrown in the fiery furnace, and they aren't even singed. And then other people look down, and they say, hey, there's a fourth person there, and he looks like a son of man. And maybe you know your Bible really well, and you know that's what Jesus calls himself, and you start wondering, wait, was Jesus walking around down there with him? You start to get some of this amazing stuff. Part of what we got to do is just pause and say, wow, all right? How awesome is this God? And if you can do that with your heart every morning, if we can do that together here every Sunday, a church in awe of Jesus Christ, that is a church useful to our Lord. And so that's what I pray for us here. If we get that right, the other things will follow, right? We'll sing loud. A lot of you are concerned with justice. You want to get justice right? Stand in awe before God and justice will follow. A lot of us are concerned about about sexual ethics today. We want to get that right. Stand in awe before God and, and the ethics will follow. The first step is being amazed before God. So, There's our first point. Seeing and hearing the glory of God should fill our hearts with awe. But it doesn't end there. Second, that awe in our hearts should lead us to offer ourselves in worship to God. And that is what Jacob does next. It's not enough for him to tremble in his heart. He acts outwardly out of that heart. Outward actions come from the inward heart. And when we look at verses 18 to 22, the rest of the text this morning, what we see is first, he does some acts of worship. He builds this kind of pillar thing similar to what his father and grandfather did place to offer sacrifices, so active worship there. And then he makes a vow saying, well, if God will do all of this for me, then that he will be my God. I will be one of his people. And when I come back here with all these possessions he says I'm going to have, I'm going to give him a tenth right here at this place that I'm marking with this stone. So... What we pull from that is that the inward awe in his heart led to outward acts of worship and even dedication to God, right? I'm his now. He is the Lord shall be my God. Some of the stuff in there can kind of throw us a little bit. And so I need to answer some questions you might be asking. A lot of people get tripped up by the if-then talk in his vow, right? You guys see that? Like in verse 20, if God will be with me and keep this way with I go. If he does all this, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone will be a place. Or sometimes we look at that and and you know Jacob by now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, he's a bargainer, he's a scammer, right? And so we're like, "Wait a minute, is he is he seriously like bargaining with God in the middle of of this like gracious promise that God made to him?" Uh, people go different ways on that. My, I answer that, no. I, don't. I think that Jacob has changed right here in some ways, and that he is not bargaining with God for two reasons. One, it would just be a silly deal if he heard God offer all that for free, and his response was, okay, God, I'll make you a deal. If you do everything you said you would just do for free, I'll give a tenth back to you, right? That's not How is that going to motivate God to do what he's already promised to do? wouldn't work. Jacob is smarter than that. Not only that, but people throughout the Bible, when they're in crisis situations like he is in, uh, they make vows like this, and it just follows this form. If the Lord will do this, then I will do this. And usually it's something God has promised he will do. And so it's often a, a response to what God has said he's going to do. So I read this as more like... If my, if my three-year-old cousin back to Christmas Day, if she had gotten that piece of paper and she had said, wow, if you're going to pay for all of my college, I'm going to give you a really heartfelt Christmas card every single year, right? That's, more of a, that's not a bargain, right? That's a, wow, if you're going to do this, then, then here you go. This is an amazed heart saying, here's my response to that. So I read this as Jacob responding to what God has given him. The other thing that can kind of throw us is his act of worship is to lay a stone down as a marker for a pillar where he's going to come and he's going to offer sacrifices. So you take that a little too literally and it's like, wait a minute, so because I'm a Christian, I need to build an altar in my backyard and stack stones up and go and, and worship at that. Like, is that what we're supposed to do here? And the answer is no to that. Because what Jacob does is he worships in the way that he was taught. He's doing the same thing his father and grandfather did. And the Lord told Abraham and Isaac, teach my ways to your sons." So he's doing what he has been taught to do, worshiping the way that faithful fathers have taught him to worship. And he's dedicating himself to God in in what will be a holy life when when his change is complete. His children after him will become a nation. They'll receive the law from God and God will actually forbid this very form of worship in the law. That's okay. Your ancestors did that. Don't you do it because it's too similar to the pagan practices around you and you'll start to worship idols if you do it. So the whole like Stonehenge, Stone Pillars worship there, he says, don't do that, Israel. Uh, But they were given prescription for how to worship, build a tent or build a temple, make it just like this, worship just like this. So they were told how to worship God and they were to do it that way. The Lord said to them also, be holy for I am holy and live good, moral, holy lives. So Jacob worships the way that he was taught and lives a holy life in response. Israel worships the way they were taught and lives a holy life also. For Christians today, the temple's gone, tabernacle's gone, Old Testament law is gone. We are not held by it anymore. And so we are called to worship God in certain specific ways that the New Testament teaches us to do. The main one is this gathering right here, every, every Lord's Day, every Sunday, gathering here doing things that he told us to do, like sing, preach the scriptures, baptize, have the Lord's Supper, give gifts, all of those sorts of things. And Romans 12.1 tells us, in view of the mercies of God, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So, generically, it's the same thing. Worship God the way He teaches us to worship Him and live a holy life. That's what's the same through Jacob, through the Old Testament era today. So, let me wrap all that up here. If if your heart's amazed by what God has done for you, what should you do on the outside? You should be here or at a local church that preaches the gospel. Every Sunday, you're able to be here. Sing, hear the Bible preached, pray, do all the things that the Lord taught us to do. Let those acts of worship be yours. And then live a holy life, presenting your body as pure to God. If our hearts are filled with awe, that is what our Lord calls us to do. That may mean that on Friday afternoon, when everyone else in the office goes out for drinks, and you know some of them are going to be having too much, that you're saying, I, I live a holy life. I'm not going to do that. That means for a lot of us, right now, some of us will be walking past pride parades going on, and the Lord says, Be holy as I am holy, right? When the world gets caught up in whatever the fervor movement is, it'll be something else in 20 years. Uh, We say, no, the Lord's called us to be holy and we live holy lives. Uh, It may mean any number of things. For anyone who's physically able, it means being here and worshiping him because we are amazed at what he's done. So that's the second step here. The awe in our hearts should lead us to offer ourselves worship to God he's the God we're the people let's move to the third one we got one more detail to unpack here you may have questions about it last sentence in chapter verse 22 part of Jacob's worship he's going to come back to this same place after God has blessed him and right now he's got nothing he's going to come back now he knows rich And so he says, when I come back, I got this rock here to mark the place. And when I get here with all my stuff that he's going to give me, I'm going to give a tenth of it to him. Of all that God gives me, I'm going to give a tenth of it to him. And what he's doing here is something his grandfather has done. uh, and Many of you did a few moments ago. uh, It's called a tithe. Uh, This is an act by which one of God's people, somebody who's in relationship with God, Uh, gives a tenth back to God of whatever God gave him or her. So if you're Jacob and you come back with ten bulls and a hundred sheep and a thousand gallons of milk, uh, you come back to the place, you give the tenth, this is already feeling like a word problem in math, and so I'm going to do my best here. You're going to give one bull, ten sheep, a hundred gallons of milk back to God. And, And there's meaning in it. It means two big things that we can see here. He says, the Lord shall be my God, right? And so I'm going to give this to him because he's my God. Uh, A tithe is an act that says to the one you're giving it to, God, you are my God. It's putting yourself under the one you worship. And he says, of all that you give me, I'll give a tenth back to you. That's part of the meaning too. It's it's a gesture that throughout endless ages has meant the same thing. It's meant God gave me the hundred percent and so I'm giving him the 10%. So the basic idea is that by giving the 10%, you're acknowledging that God is the one who gave you the other 90%, and so you're giving it to him because he is your God. At this part of history, this is a voluntary act. God has not commanded anyone to do this yet in the scriptures, and yet Abraham has done this for a a battle that he had won and got a lot of spoil for, Ironically, after Abraham tithes, he gives all the rest of it away anyway, but that's a whole other thing. Now Jacob is doing this voluntarily. Jacob's descendants, the nation of Israel, will be commanded to do it. The Lord will basically say, you have to keep your vows, and your father, Jacob, promised he would tithe, and I'm going to hold you to that. And So he has the people of Israel tithe to him as well. And then, in the church era the commands become just a little bit looser, a little bit different. Uh, instead, the Lord tells His people in the church era to give uh, generously, so a lot, probably more than 10%, uh, proportionally, He does say at one point in Corinthians, in proportion to what you have been given. So if you're rich, a lot. If you're medium, then a medium amount. If you're small, you can give from the little that you have. Uh, proportionally and cheerfully, not under compulsion, Right. And so here's the question that a lot of us wind up asking. Okay, wait a minute. We're not told in the New Testament that we have to tithe. And yet, it's been 2,000 years and a whole lot of Christians are still tithing, right? Even though we're not forced to. Like, Like, why is that? Well, that's because the Lord is working this change in our hearts. He fills us with awe dedicate ourselves to him, we give ourselves to him, we come back to him amazed at how much he has given us. And all of a sudden, tenth feels like a really small gift. And so those of you that are young can look around and you can see older saints right now who have been doing this for some of them, 50 years because God has been so good to them. Because what God wants is not someone who has to give and gives because they have to give. What God wants is somebody who's excited to give. He wants somebody like Jacob, who was never told to give this tithe, but who says, if the Lord will do this, he will be my God, and I will give a tenth back to him. That's what the Lord desires in us, a heart that is changed. And that's actually the point of what is going on here. Uh, Let's consider for a minute the transformation Jacob goes through. You guys are pretty familiar with what he was like before this, if you've been here the last couple weeks, right? He He was deceptive. He was always trying to climb the ladder. His name literally means heel grabber, right? So he spent all of his energy trying to get all of his father's stuff, all of his inheritance to get, 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 grab, grab, grab by toppling his older brother, by grabbing his older brother's heel and yanking him down. He did it through deception. He did it through manipulation And the goal the whole time was to grab, right? To just get and get, because he wanted the inheritance for himself. So he was a grabber. He was a greedy man who would hurt anybody and do anything to get what he wants. Compare that to what he says here in the last sentence of verse 22. And of all that you, God, give, give me. I will give a tenth to you. How did Jacob gain all of his stuff up to this point in his life? By grabbing it and taking it. Now he looks up to God and he says, actually, God, it's you who gives me stuff. And so since you're the giver, I will give back to you. So Jacob went from being a grabber to being a giver. And he did that because he received great blessing. That is what seeing God's glory and hearing his promises will do to you. It will take your hands that have been clasping for everything and open them up to receive from God and then give back to God. And what God wants in us is that sort of heart transformation to where There's no direct command in the New Testament to give, but his people are just so excited to do it that we do it anyway. And you just saw that miracle happen as we passed the plates a little bit ago. A whole bunch of people who were not forced to give and just said, I want to do it. When we watch, the back of our bulletin has our building debt Oh, it's not. Of course, this would be the week it's not there, the week that I do this. Yes, okay. So I promise on other weeks, the back of the bulletin has our building debt on it, and it just goes down every month. Uh, I've only been here the last three and a half years, but we went from eight years left on that thing to two and a half years left on that thing. And that's all on gifts even above our regular tithes and regular offerings. What is going on there? I'll tell you what's going on. God is moving people from grabbers to givers. He does that all over the place. And, and so when I look at those they may be numbers and it may be money, which feels very unspiritual. There's a spiritual miracle going on right there before. Uh, that's why we put them on the back of the bulletin so you can see that and celebrate what the Lord is doing. I can't wait to see what he has in store for us next there. This is why, by the way, the, this sort of change that Jacob undergoes from grabber to giver, this is why we try to make our offering moments so, so devotional for you. Uh, we were really excited to go up until this Sunday. We've had to do the offering like on the way out, which is fine. There's, there's, Lord doesn't tell us when we have to give the offering. Uh, but it sure is nice to have a dedicated moment in the service where we could say, I am giving. Why? Because it's so worshipful to do. And this is why often Pastor Paul will tell you to pull your wallet out, and a lot of us will pull our wallets out. We'll hold them in our hands and we'll pray and dedicate our gifts to God because it's so worshipful and so helpful for the change in our hearts to say, Lord, everything in this wallet is yours, and you gave it to me. Uh, One of my favorite things to do, and if you write a, a tithe check, you can do this too, is to hold that check in my hand and look down at the number on it and even if you're not good at math, you can just add a zero if you gave 10%, and you can say, wow, the, the Lord gave me that much this week. Right? You get a check for $150 in your hand, and you can say, wow, the Lord gave me $1,500 over the last two weeks. Isn't he good? That's the sort of receiving with open hands and giving with open hands that the Lord needs to do in our hearts. So that's his vision for giving. That's what he wants from us. That's what he's been doing in many of your hearts for years. You're going to track what's happened. That's it. Amazed at the gospel, outward worship, and then that turns into some very open-handed giving. And you've seen that all around you if you've been going to church here for a while. But it begins with hearing the promises of God and, and seeing his glory. And I'll just give you the whole sum here. Starts with that. That leaves the heart in trembling awe before God. And that heart, from that heart, come these acts of worship. That is, if it clicks, if we're not in three-year-old mode anymore, but it clicks for us what we've been given by the gospel, that's what it looks like. And that's what Jacob shows us. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for that. How about that?